Welcome to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Wednesday here at Don't Box Me In. You know, about a month ago, I was watching the news about this uh, NFL player who gave up his entire professional football career just so he could sit at home all day and play Call of Duty on his Xbox. He spent about 18 hours a day online playing this game, sleeping five or six hours a day and only eating once per day. He ignored friends and family when they tried to contact him and became a total hermit. When I heard this story, I was so amazed. I mean, I had heard of drug addictions, alcohol addictions, and such, but addiction to the Xbox, that was so new to me. So I searched for someone to help me get a better understanding on the matter, and my search led me to my guest today. Hillary Cash is the co-founder of Restart Internet Addiction Recovery Program the first and only therapeutic residential program for adults suffering from Internet and video game addiction that is located in the United States or Canada. Today, Hillary will help us shed some light on whether or not our attachment to that smartphone, our constant updates of our Facebook status, or the time we put into video games is problematic or not. Hillary has been working in this field since the 1990s. She's co-authored the book, Video Games and Your Kids, How Parents Stay in Control, and is one of the nation's leading experts on Internet addiction. Hillary Cash, welcome to Don't Box Me In, and I thank you for making time to speak to me today. I am delighted to be here. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, first of all, um, you know, a lot of us joke around all the time and say, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to Facebook or games like Black Ops, but can you define for me what actually is considered a gaming or internet addiction? I think it's easiest um, to have people think about uh, certain things that characterize all addiction. And the first thing is pleasure, right? It's the seeking of a pleasurable experience that you can do in excess. And as a result of doing it in excess, the brain goes through changes, you know, where essentially the brain says, whoa, 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 this is too much. We've got to get to normal functioning. And it withdraws the receptors to pick up those chemicals in the brain that are giving you the high, pleasurable experience you're having. And that's called tolerance. So all addictions in the beginning produce a high over prolonged excessive use, uh, you develop tolerance and you need to do something new or more extreme to get that high. And if you're, you're cut off from whatever it is, the chemical or the behavior, go into withdrawal. And, and because of getting caught up in this cycle, which is really based in the brain, you then engage in the behavior, drinking the, the alcohol or uh, playing the Xbox, in spite of all the negative consequences that then follow. So in the case of Internet and video game addiction, what we typically see are the negative consequences are things like people not getting enough sleep, like this person you mentioned who was only getting five or six hours of sleep a night. Not enough, right? We need eight hours, really, seven or eight hours at, at minimum if we're adults and more if we're kids. 
um, letting our professional life, our, our, our student life, our academic life go because the, the thing we're addicted to takes priority over everything else. Mm-hmm. Health goes. So there are all those negative consequences and, and, you know, we can talk more about what that, that looks like for individuals, but that's the pattern that all addictions share, including this one. So you're saying the person who's playing the Xbox or, you know, let me go ahead and admit, like, I'm the perpetual texter. So I get some sort of, there's a pleasure feeling from, uh, right. that we, we get from, okay. So I, I get a so, happy, happy, lucky feeling from sending text messages. Right. And so think about, well, all addictions exist on a continuum from mild to severe. Okay. So, you know, the football player was severely addicted. He was he had re- retreated from the world entirely and was just, you know, really down the tubes. But many of us are mildly addicted, like to, uh, you know, texting and checking Facebook or playing some sort of very casual game uh, on Facebook. Gotcha. Now, that mild addiction can potentially develop into a more severe addiction, um, but you will experience pleasure and anticipation of, you know, sending a text, getting a response, you know, what is, what's that going to, what are they going to say when they text back? So it, it's mild, it's not a real huge high, but it's a little high. Gotcha. And if you, if you leave your smartphone at home, uh, and you're going to experience withdrawal symptoms that day. Yes, for I have ha- had that happen. <laughs> you know, you contemplate, okay, maybe I should drive home and go get it. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. Yes, I have experienced exactly. that before. So, um, and which brings me to ask, you know, because I have gone through that and I'm pretty sure others have. How do you, what, what are the signs of addiction? How do you know you have some problems with either gaming or internet or, you know, your social network? How, what begins, how do you say it's, it's starting to be a problem? Well, think of, um, sort of divide the hours of the day up in, in, you know, into a pie with, mm-hmm. you know, the slices, each hour of the day is a slice of that pie. And you think about what is it, if, if you just think about what are the things that are important in my life to lead a healthy, balanced life? Mm-hmm. I need enough sleep. I need to, commute to work and commute home from work and do my work well. I need to make sure I feed myself well. I need to make sure if I have family that I'm spending good quality time with my kids, my spouse. I have friends and I it's important I not neglect my friends, so I need to make time throughout the week for them. I need exercise. You know, we all need exercise to be healthy. So what am I doing each day? Uh, to get some exercise, maybe it's just a walk, but am I giving myself a, a good bit of exercise? So all the pie is is being used up, right? Mm-hmm. If after you've taken care of all those important responsibilities and good self-care of yourself and the people in your life that you love and care about, there's some free time left, mm-hmm. well, then you get to decide what you're going to do with that free time, and that free time might be playing a video game. It might be, you know, hanging out on Facebook and catching up on, 
you know, what other people are saying and doing. But that's, that's what it means to live a healthy, balanced life and have technology be a part of it that doesn't, but not addictively so. Okay, understand. But when you divide your pie up, because I know most of us are moving away from the gaming addiction, let's say your your internet or your Facebook or your, your cell phone, most of us are kind of coexisting between these activities along with, like my smartphone is with me all the time when I go to the gym. My smartphone might be with me when I go to lunch with, you know, a girlfriend from college. My my phone might be with me when I'm picking up my daughter from school. So it's so integrated into our day-to-day activity that I, I don't know if we know how to detach, but are we addicted? I would say probably mildly addicted. And okay. Because if you think about the quality of your conversation with your girlfriend over lunch, mm-hmm. if you there's actually some really interesting research that shows that when we have a social interaction with our phones out on the table visible, mm-hmm. the, the quality of that, how people feel about their interaction is actually more negative than mm-hmm. if there's no phone visible. So it's better to just make a commitment to yourself that your phone is getting turned off while you're having your lunch. Gotcha. Right? And then, gotcha. then check what messages came in once you're done with lunch. Okay. And, and going to the gym. Now, that's a really interesting example that there's good research that shows that and we are tending more and more and more to overstimulate our brain, distract ourselves constantly, and never give ourselves the time to think, mm. just in quiet space, to reflect. And that process of not being constantly distracted allows the brain actually to rest, to move information into long-term storage. Mm. So we're much better off when we give ourselves that break from technology like at gym. You know, you're just working out. Maybe you're watching TV, but not being distracted at every single moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I had read uh, some article, it takes your brain uh, a, a short span of time to refocus on a task after you've engaged in your, you know, your Facebook or your cell phone right. or whatever. So, right. um, you know, so that makes... Constant- that makes- yeah, the constant uh, shifting of attention, the multitasking that we tend to do because of our technology. Um, there, again, there's lots of research that's showing that <laughs> the quality of attention we then bring to whatever tasks we're doing is degraded. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, in the opening, I talked about this NFL football player who kind of just basically gave up um, everything. So this person who looks at the clock and says, okay, it's 2 o'clock, I have to be at work or I have to go to practice or pick up the dog from the vet and says to themselves, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to stay here and play one more game. I mean, are there some underlying issues with that person, maybe some personality disorders or, you know, do genetics play a role? Is is, is one person more likely to be a gaming-addicted type person or, or what? Well, it's a great question, and I don't know that we've got uh, enough research done to, to 
come up with really solid answers, but I'll give you answers based on my, my clinical experience because I've okay. been doing this a long time. And what I see is that uh, there are that problems in personality development, problems in personality development occur when somebody starts in on this uh, addictive behavior with technology at a really early age. Parents are giving kids smartphones, handheld devices, little laptops. They're handing this to their toddlers. And because it's a nice distraction, it's like a pacifier, gives mm-hmm. the parents a chance to go do what they want to do, and kids are out of their hair. But gotcha. there's, there is some research that shows clearly that the more time children spend with these devices, they actually begin to fall behind their peers in vocabulary development. And okay. what I see is and that same child who then grows up and is now 18, 19, 20 years old is has real serious deficits in certain developmental areas. They, they don't have as good social skills because they've spent so much of their time in front of the screen rather than interacting with family members and friends. They don't know how to, they often are not very good at inventing other things to do, keeping themselves entertained, creating, you know, being engaged in creative projects, creative play, which children naturally engage in. But if they are always given a a screen to distract them, they may not learn well how to, you know, do that, their own imaginative creative play. And then by the time they're 20, they really just don't know what to do with themselves if they're not at a screen. So gotcha. it it actually creates a lot of potential problems uh, the earlier the age is that people start. But in addition, if you've got somebody who is um, has a problem, like let's say they have Asperger's, they're somewhere on the autism spectrum, even mm-hmm. if they're brilliant and high-functioning, in, in many ways, they still might not know how to decode and be successful in social interactions. Mm-hmm. And that's somebody who's very vulnerable to getting uh, onto, in, in that world of um, cyberspace. Gotcha. Or somebody who has attention deficit disorder, and they, they're very distractible already, and their mm-hmm. brains just love and feel very stimulated by games and that kind of thing. So there definitely can be other problems that underlie mm-hmm. the addiction, but you can't really successfully get at those problems until you kind of clear away the addictive behavior and uh, let them start looking at what's going on besides. Okay, that makes sense. Well, this is a break time for me, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Hillary Cash of Restart. Right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to 
Don't Box Me In. Before the break, we were talking to Hillary Cash of the Restart about uh, the possible types of uh, personalities that would uh, be prone to this type of gaming or Internet addiction. And I wanted to ask, um, this particular type of addiction, gaming and Internet, is it treated with medication or is it just behavior modification? Well, when people come to Restart, they spend 45 to 90 days just away from all digital technology. And what happens is the first three weeks really are kind of the detox weeks when their brains are returning to more normal function, putting back receptors to pick up normal levels of neurochemicals and all that. So they Mm -hmm. end up feeling much better after about three weeks. And that's when we can begin to more clearly if there's something going on that would really require medication or be benefited by some medication, but we just don't go automatically to medication. Okay. Okay. And um, from my reading, I understand that, and like I said, this is such a new topic for me, but I understand that people can possibly develop certain health conditions from being a gamer or, suffer, you know, a Consistent use of internet. There's some. That is correct. Um, in Asia, there are. I was in China five years ago, four years ago, and mm-hmm. at that time there had been ten reported deaths of gamers uh, who were gaming in those um, internet cafes where they, mm-hmm. you know, sit in front of rows. There rows and rows of computers, and they sit there playing games and. And as of that date, 10 had died uh, from not taking a break, you know, just gaming on and on and on and on and on. And I think most of them were caused by blood clots that developed from lack of physical exercise. Um, and similarly, we had a, somebody call in to us after we opened Restart mm-hmm. uh, to talk to us about her stepson who had just had his leg amputated, again, from... Um, a blood clot, uh, and and it was all due to his inactivity, his just passively sitting in a chair gaming. So that's the extreme end of physical consequences, but there are many other physical consequences as well. So one is that sleep deprivation, um, which is really hard on the body. The body needs sleep, and if you don't let it have sleep, it's gonna it, you're gonna suffer. Mm-hmm. So sleep deprivation is one, but if you don't get adequate exercise, you know, we all know that exercise is important to our health, and, and mm-hmm. uh, many gamers don't get adequate exercise, and their sometimes their posture is not good because they don't have enough muscle to support, you know, a good, strong, upright posture. Um, carpal tunnel syndrome and other kind of strains of tendons happen. Um, mm-hmm. The eyes can be very strained from just staring at a screen for hours and hours and hours. Um, so, so these are just examples of some of the physical problems that can go along okay. with it. I, I'm curious. You mentioned, and I don't even know if you know, but you mentioned like in China and the case here with the blood clots. Roughly, like how long would somebody have to be sitting to develop that sort of health condition? I mean, well, is this like we're we're sitting there um, anywhere from forty uh, over forty hours? So I think one 
some of them had been there like 38, 40, 45 hours. Some of them had been sitting there for over 50 hours. Amazing. So it's almost like, I guess, the gambler goes to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and sits at the casino for, oh, wow, okay, okay. And so when they come to restart or they get into some sort of program, I'm, I'm assuming like with any addiction, there's a withdrawal process. So what sort of, I guess, physical evidence does a gamer or Internet-addicted person go through when it comes to withdrawal? Or are there any withdrawal symptoms? Well, they're mild. So mm-hmm. what they sometimes report is a little bit of a sh- of shakiness, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little queasiness in their stomachs, but mostly it's experienced psychologically. Okay. It's irritability, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, sometimes, you know, great anger, mm-hmm. and poor concentration, difficulty sleeping, those kinds of things. So that's mostly how, how our guys experience it. Okay, and so you said your program was 45 days, so maybe this would last the first week or the first three days, or how how Actually, quickly the do they... First, yeah, the first three weeks, usually. Oh, wow. Oh, so it takes... Okay. And, yeah, it takes a long time, and that's just to get back, you know, be able to have all the normal neurochemicals active in the brain that, that help you regulate mood, but mm-hmm. beyond that, there's it takes about two years for any addict's brain to really rewire back to fully normal functioning. Okay, two years. So, yeah, so you got to think of recovery as an ongoing process. If they come to restart, it's, you know, it, it gives them a, a jump start mm-hmm. um, on, on getting healthy. It, it, they can detox here and they can develop a plan for how they're going to go back out into the world, pursue their goals, and and have digital technology as a part of their lives. It, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of in that respect like an eating disorder. Okay. So we have to use digital technology to some degree. It's really hard not to. But so they develop a plan while they're with us of how they're going to use it and then how are they going to be accountable to that plan. And we have an aftercare portion of the program, phase two, if they want to go into it, where they live independently and start applying the plan, but still staying connected with us and getting therapy and case management and all that. Gotcha. So you also mentioned um, it's this connectors in the brain um, topic. And with gaming, I hear that it's hard for people sometimes to differentiate the game from real life. So does that play anywhere with the connectors in the brain and possibly why it increases the addiction? Um, I don't know if it... I mean, I suppose the answer is yes. I don't have a like a scientific uh, gotcha. answer to that. But I think what, what does happen is that if you're playing a game, let's say a, a football game mm-hmm. on the computer, the, your brain lights up in ways similar to how it would be lighting up if you were actually playing football. Okay. So the brain thinks you're playing football, even when you're playing a game. Okay. And, and so that, and the more realistic it is in the game, the more, you know, the brain responds that way. So, yeah, there does get to be this confusion 
about um, what's reality, what's the game. And, of course, the younger the person is, the more they're going to be confused. Um, and the, the, per, the goal of game developers, as I understand it from talking to them over the years, mm-hmm. is, is, in fact, to create um, an immersive experience so that you do lose all touch with reality and you feel 100% as though the game is your reality. And that's, that's their That goal. seems dangerous in itself, though. Well, I would agree, but, but <laughs> that's what people, gamers, like. You know, mm-hmm. So, yes, I suppose that makes them it more addictive. They, they like that. It's pleasurable to them to feel completely immersed in some other world. Hmm. It seems like a, a a recreational activity that's doomed from fail to to fail from the the offset. Um, if the whole goal is to completely immerse your your whole self in that, uh, wow. Yeah, the I mean, the difficulty becomes, you know, it, it's like if we could, if kids could grow up without gaming, mm-hmm. and then as adults, it would be well developed, well rounded when they when they sort of started gaming, uh, kind of how we ideally approach the drinking of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like ideally, you don't, you don't even start drinking until you're 21. And the idea is that you, you've matured. You've got a brain that's pretty well developed. You have impulse control. You have a good sense of yourself and, and reality out there. You have lots of life skills. You're, you're embracing being an adult in the world. Then when, you, then when you start engaging in something that's really pleasurable, you, you can manage it. You can recognize that it's, you know, it's entertainment, it's, it's pleasure, and it needs to just have its rightful small place in the rest of your life. You can do balance life. proportions, yeah. Right? Balance. And then it would be fine, but that's not what's happening. Gotcha. Okay. Well... It's time for another break, but when I come back, I want to start talking about uh, Restart, the facility. Uh, but stay tuned. We'll be back more with Hillary Cash right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I am talking today with Hillary Cash, co-founder of Restart, Internet Addiction Recovery Program. Now, Hillary, the facility Restart, how long has it been around? Four years now. Four years. And what made you start the program? Well, I've been doing this work in my outpatient practice since the mid-90s. And uh, it all started with a young man of 25 who came in and was depressed and his marriage was falling apart. And in the course of, of working with him, I began to understand that he was really addicted to a video game, an online early uh, game of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And it was his addiction which was causing his marriage to fall apart and him to lose two jobs. You know, it, it took over his life. It, his addiction was in control of him and his life was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting to me, you know, to understand what was happening. Pretty soon there was a woman who came in for therapy and she was carrying on an online affair in a writer's forum. She was married, she had kids, and she felt perfectly justified in what she was doing. 
because it wasn't a physical, you know, there was no physical contact, but they were mm-hmm. having cyber sex. Mm-hmm. And, and she was very addicted to this experience, I could tell. Um, and, and so people were just coming into my office in the mid-90s with these problems that had the common theme of the Internet <laughs> with them. <laughs> and so it just got me very intrigued. Uh, back then, there were very few people who were writing about it and, and really addressing it directly. Uh, Kimberly Young and Marissa Orzak on the East Coast were both uh, doing so, but, you know, that was about it back then. So just slowly have been developing it, uh, learning more, understanding it better, treating it, but always frustrated that there was no residential program where I could send people who needed it. And then I met Cosette Ray, and she and her husband had the facility, and they were developing it as a retreat center. She's a therapist, clinical social worker. She was in her own private practice, seeing the problem as well, totally understood it, and we just decided we could do it. We, And that's how it happened. So very good <laughs> serendipity. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, your clientele at Restart, um, it seems to be mid-20s or under. Why is it that we don't see like a 40-year-old person suffering from this type of addiction? Well, they, there are 40-year-olds who suffer, and we've treated a few of them here. Mm-hmm. But most of you know, most people who are uh, adults who are 35 and older, mm-hmm. let's say, remember, they, they did not grow up with this technology. Gotcha. And so their brains aren't wired for it the same way a 19-year-old's brain is wired for it. Okay. And, and they already have their lives, and they might, they might indeed fall into this addiction, but they're, they're going to tend to fall into it more mildly and be sort of functional addicts who are still managing their lives well enough that they don't need a facility like ours. Okay. But the young people who are heavily wired for this because they've been doing it since they were very young are just, you know, their lives are already falling apart. They're failing out of high school and college and, um, you know, and, and so their parents are the ones who are essentially intervening finding us intervening and saying, you got to get help now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, you, um, when somebody comes to you, a client comes to you uh, to restart, there's a few different programs and services that you guys do offer there, one of which is a on-site stay program. I think it's called Heaven's Field. What's all entailed in that particular program? Yeah, the program goes in two phases, and so the first phase is that 45 to 90 days where they're living. This is a five-acre piece of land, uh, heavily wooded, but with open space, a very, one very large house and some outbuildings, which are offices for ther- therapy offices. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, they come, they are detoxing, like I was mm-hmm. describing earlier, and mm-hmm. developing that plan um, for how they're going to, we call it the life balance plan. And then while they're with us, they're doing CrossFit uh, five days a week, mm-hmm. uh, CrossFit training, uh, getting good sleep, getting good nutrition, getting lots of psychotherapy, developing social skills and life skills, um, 
through classes and just through the environment, the therapeutic environment that's here. Mm-hmm. And it's all designed to help them uh, have enough, you know, be detoxed and have a plan and be healthy enough to go forward and start embracing adult life in a healthy way. Okay. So it's more... Go, into, go ahead. Go ahead. So it's more of a, uh, like a a back-to-nature, a physical type program? Well, we do have a strong belief in the therapeutic benefits of nature. So there is a wilderness component built into it of backpacking in the mountains for one to two nights and sometimes longer. Um, And there is a strong emphasis on physical fitness here. So the CrossFit training... The guys love it for the most part because, you know, these are young men, high testosterone in their system. They are meant to be physically active, right? They are mm-hmm. meant to be muscled and fit and ready to go. And they're not when they arrive, but they are usually by the time they leave. You know, or at okay. least they're way on their way. They are uh-huh. either have lost weight or they've gained muscle and gained weight. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, on an on a off topic, I've often said that's probably part of the problem with ADHD is we don't let our kids just outside and run and play anymore. Um, right. And they're just inside, you know, the whole gaming thing or whatever. But, uh, right. Totally, yeah, you, yeah, totally not yeah, what you, kids need. Yeah, yeah you got to get out and play. So um, besides this on-site program, you have a, a few off-site or you, you have other programs and services that you offer. Can you run those down for me? Well, sure. We have the off-site phase two of, of restart, which is where these um, these young adults, if they choose, can now live in apartments, usually with one another. And mm-hmm. we have a, a set of apart. you know, there's an apartment complex, and they get a lease for six months, so they're in that program for six months or longer. And now they are uh, getting jobs and signing up again, for college courses, still getting therapy, still doing CrossFit, and just, but now they're they're starting to apply the plan they've created. And initially, they don't have any digital technology in their apartment. Mm -hmm. But as time goes by and we can see that they are being successful, we, they can apply to get some piece of digital technology. And, uh, and then we get to watch and see, do they relapse because of it, or are they handling it okay? So um, that's what we do. And then I still maintain my private practice in Redmond, so you know people can come and see me just on an outpatient basis as well. Oh, okay. And I, I must, uh, I guess I need to, I neglect to say this, exactly where is Restart located? So Restart is in Fall City, Washington. And that is a town that is very near Seattle and right next to Redmond, Washington, home of Microsoft. Okay. So you're right where the problem is. In <laughs> yes, <Microsoft>. we are. <laughs> We're <in the> <laughs> okay. Now, um, it seems to be a very, you know, small, personable setting. Is there a maximum number of clients you can take at one time? Yes, only six. Oh, oh! So I'm imagining you guys have a, a wait list or something. Then, oh, we don't. I mean, sometimes we do, 
Most mm-hmm. of the time we don't. Our numbers just go up and down. We never know, you know, when new people are going to come. They often come very last minute. So our numbers just go up and down. Over the four years, our numbers have steadily increased. Um, so, but we're a small facility, and my, honestly, I think that many people don't fully understand the problem. And yeah. it's so, um, it's so normal in the culture for people to be indoors in front of screens that mm-hmm. I think it's hard for people to recognize when it's crossed the line and it's a really serious problem and many people don't realize there is a place they can go for help. So I think that will change with time. It's not an officially recognized problem in this country. In South Korea and China, it's officially recognized as their number one public health threat. They've given it an official diagnosis. You know, they, okay. they see it as an official diagnosis. And, oh. um, yeah, it's, it, they're way ahead of us in terms of, <laughs> you know, at, at a cultural, broad cultural level, recognizing it. Mm-hmm. We've had delegations from um, South Korea visit us twice, and they, we learned from them that in South Korea, they screen children starting at age 10 uh, for Internet addiction. And if they meet criteria for it, they are sent for treatment at the government's expense. Mm. They go to, yeah, they go to a camp, a two-week detox camp, and the family is involved, so there's family therapy. And then there's, that's followed by six months of individual and family therapy. And it's, it's a marvelous model. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're dealing, you know, with younger kids and, and teenagers. It's a great idea, and I wish we did something like that here. Yeah, I know, uh, in contrast here, cause I, I just happened to mention to a few friends the upcoming ep- episode and what, what it was about and the NFL player and the common response off the top was, you know, just tell them to turn it off. Just tell them to turn it off. And I guess it's easier said than done, you know. So, uh, right. it's I like guess. telling an alcoholic just stop <laughs> drinking or a coke addict, you know, just stop snorting. It just isn't going to happen because the addiction is in control. Gotcha. And I guess maybe, you know, these countries, you say Korea and China, you know, as far as the Internet and the gaming, you know, they're so far ahead of it, period, anyway. So it would make sense that their problems are evolving before ours are, and we're kind of getting the second wave of it now. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's uh, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think true. that's really true. Um, now, uh, I don't – maybe when we come back from break, there are a couple things I'd like to – talk about. One has to do with uh, teenagers and, and pornography, and the okay. other has to do with something called limbic resonance. Okay, well, well, we'll take that up right after this last break. This is Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's Lana Reed. Hello, and welcome back. I'm with Hillary Cash, and before the break, she had mentioned she wanted to talk about... Um, some, I guess, possible inter, uh, addiction problems, teenagers, and pornography. So I'm going to let her go ahead and have a way at it. Okay. So this is really, um, I'm, I want to address the parents in your audience. Okay. Because the parents need to understand that teenage, that all through a child's life, the brain is being wired um, around sexuality based on what they 
see and experience. And, of course, when teenagers are pre-adolescent, they are, you know, hormones are raging and they're very, very curious about sex. This is the time when typically kids are, in fact, discovering pornography and their friends are introducing them to it or they are uh, have access through a smartphone or through an unmonitored uh, other computer. And the average age of exposure now for American boys is 10. Mm. And that's not a good thing because mm-hmm. that early exposure, <clears throat> if they are, they might be kind of horrified and traumatized by what they see, mm-hmm. but they also might be very sexually stimulated by what they see. And then that is likely to be followed by lots more exploration of pornography through the Internet. And what happens is that that sexual template is being very powerfully influenced by what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And what they are learning is that sex does not have anything to do with a relationship. Okay. okay, so sex and relationship are now disconnected, and and instead, uh, sex is associated with uh, their own eroticism, their own bodies, and mm-hmm. um, that objectification of images, which then translates to objectification of females in the world, and and very unrealistic images of, you know, bodies and mm-hmm. and sexual performance and all these kinds of things. So it's really just not healthy and realistic for kids to be viewing pornography. Mm-hmm. And so parents can find ways to prevent or minimize that exposure. It would be really good for them. Because the way kids, the way we are designed by nature is... Once we are approaching puberty and hormones are rising, the natural thing is to seek out the people we're attracted to, and then you have to figure out and develop the skills necessary to begin talking to that person, Mm -hmm. eventually dating the person, and eventually having sex with the people Mm -hmm. you're attracted to. Mm -hmm. That's how nature designs it. But But you get off that track if you get sidetracked with pornography, and you don't learn those skills, it's easy to not learn those skills that would help you understand and achieve success in developing relationships with people that eventually you can have a loving and sexual relationship with. So I just want parents to hear that and think about it and do what they can. I often advise parents to put monitoring software on all computers and that a child has access to. And uh, one that works pretty well is eBlaster. And if they can install it, it's pretty unhackable. It'll send a report to parents about where the child goes, uh, you know, how much time they're spending and where they're going. And parents can monitor the computer use that way and set up rules around pornography or other things that parents have rules around and hold the child accountable to that through that monitoring software. Kids don't like it, but they get used to it. They have to accept it because it's the parents' rule. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about. The other is that 
<clears throat> in general, kids need, we all are humans who need one another. We need contact with each other. And to have that contact successfully, it re- requires having some skills, some social mm-hmm. skills. So kids who don't have much interaction with people are not developing the social skills that will help them be successful. And they are also going to start over time becoming more and more depressed and anxious because this thing, there's this thing called limbic resonance. And it has mm-hmm. to do with the stimulation of the brain that happens in two, when two people are feeling safe and cared about and are interacting. And that limbic resonance keeps us well-regulated emotionally as well as physiologically. If we don't have enough face-to-face contact with people who care about us and we care about, we're inevitably going to start becoming depressed and anxious. And there is a lot of research that shows the more time you spend online, the more depressed and anxious people become. So don't think that online social activity is a substitute for face-to-face, real-world interaction. Yeah. Okay. Now, since you're talking about kids and teenagers, do you have a recommendation uh, for the parents out there? Uh, what is a safe internet access time for? You know, I don't know if it's broken down in age brackets. Maybe like the the five year old to ten year old or the teenager. Is there a safe amount of time that we should let our kids have access to the internet or play video games? Well, I, I it's really important that parents know that there is good research out there that shows that kids under the age of two really are not benefited by exposure to screens at all. What kids under the age of two need are an opportunity to interact with their caregivers and with other kids and with their physical environment. And then from two on, if, if parents want to let kids have access to a screen, have it be just a TV screen, not an interactive computer screen. And and that TV screen is for watching a little bit of TV each day. In those preschool years, up to an hour, maybe two hours max. And then, and this is, of course, much less than parents are mostly letting their kids watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then no computer time uh, before the age of six or seven. Okay. And no video games, no computer time before that age. And then, again, in the elementary years, don't let it go above, don't let screen time go above um, two hours. Don't put screens in kids' bedrooms. Don't let young elementary age kids have smartphones. Okay. No internet access, except if it's carefully supervised because they're doing some research. You know, they're in fourth grade or something, and they're doing a little research uh, for a school project. Mm-hmm. Um and then when they get to the middle school years, you can increase that screen time by an hour, high school by another hour. But the video game time itself should be limited and really never go beyond two hours. And less is better. Just in general, okay. less is better. So we shouldn't be letting our senior in high school play video games no more than two hours a day? That's right. Okay. Okay. And I think a lot of high schoolers are doing way, way more than that. They are. <laughs> yeah, I would venture research, to say. Go ahead. There's research that shows that um, more than two hours a day of video game play starts to bring on addiction. 
So okay. if you stick to two hours or less, your teen is not likely to develop addiction. Could. I can't promise they, that he or she won't, but less likely. Okay, so I don't feel so bad. My daughter, she's 18, and I never in 18 years bought her Xbox or PlayStation, so I don't feel so bad at all now. I can say, I can go in there and tell her I helped her out. <laughs> That's right, even if she's mad at you about it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good as a parent now. So in these uh, last couple of minutes, I, I just want to make sure I get out there. Um, for Restart, are there any requirements to being admitted to your program, or is it just anybody that can come, or are there some restrictions, or... Um, if they're 18 or older, the parents um, or the or the addict, uh, him or herself, can fill out the application. You know, you would contact us, ask for a application. We'd send out a packet, um, send back the application, and then we'll review it. And, and in that application packet is going to be a description of, of the addiction. And... You know, we never yet have gotten an application from somebody who wasn't addicted. So, you know, but we can kind of tell if somebody meets criteria through that application packet. But then when they actually come, then there's a period of, you know, that first week is really assessment. And if if we find that they're not appropriate for our program, we will send them elsewhere. Okay, got you. So, okay, you will refer out. Okay. Yeah. So... Okay, good stuff. As uh, always, these hours just slip by me. I'm at the end of another one, um, and I have been speaking to and learning from Hillary Cash of the Restart Internet Addiction Recovery Program. Be sure to visit her website. That is netaddictionrecovery.com for more information on Internet or gaming addictions and the help that's available to anyone out there suffering with this. You can also call them at 1-800-682-6934. That's uh, 1-800-682-6934. Hillary, your book, Video Games and Your Kids, How Parents Stay in Control, how do folks go about picking up a copy real quick? Um, Amazon is the cheapest way. All righty. Well, that's all the time I have for this week. Uh, Thanks again, Hillary, for chatting with me. And... uh, I'll be back next week at the same time. Until next week, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life.